understand it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, the Word of God says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that now as we take this time to look at your word, that you'd teach us these fundamental truths, and they would sink it down deeply into our hearts and our understanding in such a way that we'd strive to live them. And Lord, we ask you to bless our families. The family's under attack like it never has been before in our nation. And we ask you to make our families strong so our church can be strong and our community and our country can be strong. But Lord, it only would do so if we follow these admonitions as found in these scriptures. So we pray that you'd give us ears to hear, Holy Spirit of God, give me the words to say and speak it down deeply in a place that can never be forgotten. And then give us the power to change whatever we need to change to follow through with these fundamental commandments. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach a message this evening, three fundamentals of a healthy family. Three fundamentals of a healthy family. Let me tell you that the sermon tonight is for everyone. It's for those of you that are married. It's for those of you that have children. It's for those of you that uh, are older and perhaps your loved one has moved on to heaven and your kids are grown up. And it's for those of you that have never been married and you hope to get married someday. It's for those of you that maybe never will get married, but you will know people that have families. I'm going to remind you of three foundational truths tonight that have been largely forgotten, ignored, or downright contradicted in our culture today. The family is under attack as it never has been before. The family was God's idea. It's the first system of government, uh, a, a nuclear family. Families build communities. Communities make states and regions and nations and churches. If the family goes, the foundations are gone. Uh, and we live in a day and age where uh, more kids than not are being born into single-family homes, where the divorce rate among all people is over 50% or right at, even among Christian folks. Uh, husbands don't know how to be husbands. Wives don't know how to be wives. Children don't know how to be children and grow up. The world is a mess. But thankfully, the Bible tells us exactly what needs to happen. There are three fundamental truths and commandments that we find in our scripture tonight that will help us all. Uh, and so we dive in. Everyone has a family. Everyone here is a child. Whether you're a hundred or one, you're here because you're a child of some sort. And the older you get, the more important you realize that we ought to treat our parents right before they're gone. And uh, some of our families are in heaven. Some of us have parents and families in heaven. And it's tough to, to be without them. 
but thank God for that wonderful place. But everyone has a family. Many of you in the room, most of you either currently are now a husband, wife, or child, or you will one day be a husband or wife and have children, or you are a husband, wife, and you've already had children. This applies to everybody. If everyone has a family, then why is it that no one teaches people how to have a good family? You know, having a good family is not taught in school. Having a good family is not taught in the average college. How to be a husband, how to be a wife. Where do you go to take a class on that? You watch an episode of Dr. Phil. You read a parenting magazine, an article in that to learn how to raise your kids. The truth is, outside of good churches like this and outside of the Bible, no one is being taught how to have a successful family. On top of that, the home has never been under more attack. The nuclear family is under attack. Manhood itself was under attack some years ago. Many of you remember the toxic masculinity craze that we dealt with here biblically and talked to you about. Now womanhood's under attack. They can't even tell you what a woman is. A Supreme Court justice can't say what a woman is because she's not a biologist. Uh, It's crazy. No one can tell a, a child what, what a child is. What, what gender is this? What does it mean to be a child? We've got children trying to divorce their parents, children forgetting what the very idea of a, of a parent is for. Parents are not simply to pay your bills and make you food and wash your clothes. There's a reason why God gave them to you. What about being a good husband, being a good wife? It's one thing to enter into the sacred A covenant of marriage, it's another thing to do it successfully. And for those of you that are married, you know that it's simultaneously the most wonderful relationship in the world and the most difficult. But it's worth it. A lot of young people today are saying they don't have any plans on getting married. They don't have any plans on having children. Let me tell you, that's a mistake. If you're here tonight and you're in your teens, 20s, 30s, and you're not married and you say, well, I'm just... Maybe someone that says, well, I'm just not going to have kids. Kids are too much trouble. I don't want to mess with my career. I don't want to get married because of... That's a mistake. Because the family is one of the greatest rewards that you can ever have in this life. Uh, And there's so much to be said about that. Family is the building block of society. So it's important that we know how to have good families. Much of what we know about having a family is based on the type of family you grew up in. So I ask you right now, just think about what kind of family did you grow up in? Some of you grew up in a very stable home with both parents. Some of you grew up in a very difficult situation with one parent or sometimes perhaps no parents. Whether a grandma or an adoption situation. What kind of home did you have in? Sir, let me, let me caution you. That if you're not careful, the only thing you'll know about being a husband and a father is is how your dad treated your mom and how your dad treated you. And that's really helpful if you had a good role model, but what if you didn't? The screaming, yelling, cursing, threatening. That's not very helpful. Mistreating your spouse. Uh, All expectation but no giving. That's not very helpful. Ma'am, if you're not careful, the only thing you know about family is... How you saw your mom, how you saw your mom treat your dad, and how you saw your, uh, felt your mom treat you. And that's wonderful if you had a good role model, but what if you didn't? 
And now we're in real trouble. Nobody's born learning how to be a good child. Every child has to learn to submit to their parents and obey them in order to have a successful childhood and I would say a successful adulthood. What type of home did you grow up in? Did you hear the loving words of a father, the sweet words of a mother, or did you hear the harsh yelling and cursing? Did you feel the love or coldness, warmth, love, or pain? The good news is that you can break whatever mold you grew up in. And Jesus entering into your life can fundamentally change your family for the better. It will absolutely transform your own family. My wife and I had very different experiences growing up. She was a pastor's daughter when I met her. Dad was pastoring in Maine, and Mom and Dad were in the ministry for, for years. And, and here's this beautiful, sweet, feminine lady. And, and uh, wow, just felt like I'd, I just was so blessed that she would even be interested in me. And, and by that time, by the time she came along, she was the youngest. Mom and Dad had a lot of stuff figured out by then. Amen. If you're the oldest, mom and dad are still figuring stuff out. Can we all be honest, you know? But if you're the youngest, there, there are pros and cons to each. But I um, uh, had a wonderful family. Sarah was just a wonderful lady. Uh, incredible upbringing. Uh, my upbringing was a little different. Christ was not in our home until I was a teenager, uh, there were some rough days. My parents were divorced when I was very young. I don't remember my mom and dad ever saying a kind word to each other. I know they did. I just don't remember it. Uh, rocky times, difficulty. But I want to thank God when Christ moved in, my mom got saved. She did a wholesale turnaround. My mom's one of the sweetest ladies in the world. Love her with all my heart. So pleased about the, the lady she became and how Christ changed our family. I've got an older sister that she left the house before Christ, and as much as I love her, she's had a very difficult life, very difficult uh, in, in just all the ways you can imagine. And then Christ came into our family. I got saved, and then everybody else got saved, and, and uh, mom and my stepdad started following the Lord and started going to church, and I saw our family start to change. My four younger brothers and sisters today are all faithful members of a church Three of them are in the ministry, and one of them is a deacon. That's just Christ, what Christ did. And I want to tell you that no matter what kind of upbringing you had, or even what your family looks like at this moment, Christ can absolutely revolutionize your family if you follow these three fundamentals of a healthy family. When my family learned, started, when my family started going to church, all of us, from the parents to the children, began to learn what a healthy family looked like. It was absolutely life-changing, and I'm so thankful for that. Thankful for parents on my end that my mom, and especially, that just dove in and, and gave her heart to the Lord, and she used to pray all the time, Lord, please don't let my kids make the mistakes I did. I'm so thankful for my in-laws that Long before I knew them, they gave their hearts to the Lord and got saved in their early 30s and uh, or got saved in their, their 20s, I believe, surrendered to Christ and, and, and to the ministry and then went off to Bible college in their early 30s and spent uh, 
decades after that, raising a, a godly family and, and serving the Lord, we're very blessed, my wife and I, by the teachings of the Scripture and what God has taught us and how He changed both of our families. We must return to God's design for the family. You believe that? Feminism has done so much damage to the family today. So much damage. So much damage. You say, well, you don't think women, it's not about that. It's done so much damage. This idea of sinful manhood, the idea of worldly masculinity has done so much damage to the family. So much damage. The idea that kids can do what they want and scream and yell at their parents and give attitudes and all that, so much damage. So tonight, let's take just a little bit of time and let's go over these three fundamentals of a healthy family. I teach this every so many years in our church. I teach this in uh, marriage counseling and in all types of other things. And I'm, I'm telling you here tonight, I've seen this work for decades in people's lives. If you will do these three things, it changes everything. If one of the, the three does their part, it's a drastic change. If two does their part, it's an amazing change. If all three do their part, it's an absolute revolution of goodness and godliness. And so I encourage you, you can't, wives, you can't control your husbands. Husbands, you can't control your wives. Children, you can't control your parents. But each one of you can take responsibility for your area and follow your commandment. And then each one of you, whenever it comes time for you to have your family or you're counseling someone at work who's having family trouble or you have your grown children or grandchildren, the world needs to know these truths. I've broken them down into one sentence for each one. I'll give you some supporting evidence and some, some truths, but absolutely vital. Let's remember these things. Number one, <clears throat> a husband must love his wife unconditionally and sacrificially. The husband must love his wife unconditionally and sacrificially. You say, well, of course I love her. Do you love her unconditionally? Do you love her sacrificially? Look back at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you, (coughs) speaking to the, the men, let every one of you in particular, so each man, so love his wife even as himself. So how should the husband love his wife as himself? This means, sir, that you should at least love your wife as much as you love yourself. What a lot of us do is we prefer ourselves over others. It's what I want, not what you want. I want to make sure I'm I'm safe and happy and comfortable. I'm not really concerned about you. At the very least, at the bare minimum, we must at least love our wives as we love ourselves. We must treat them as we want to be treated. That sounds a little bit like something else, doesn't it? The golden rule. How should a husband love his wife? 
Well, we find a little bit more detail when we look back at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, wait a minute. The Bible here talks about that it's important that you respect yourself so that you can respect others. The idea of loving yourself here in the Bible is not the idea of self-love taught in much of our modern culture. That's an unbiblical concept of self-love. Uh, the idea of self-love here is basically the idea of, of more of like a, a loving, respectful commitment. You are committed to your own happiness. You are committed to your own comfort. You are committed to taking care of you. And the Bible says you need to be committed to your wife like you're committed to yourself. I tell people often in marriage counseling, the number one killer of marriage is selfishness. Husband, wife, children, the number one killer of marriage is selfishness. Selfishness kills relationships. When you choose to be selfish, you are twisting the dagger in the heart of your marriage. We've got to be careful of that. So look what it says, verse 28. So all men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Don't you see, sir, that when you are a good husband and you take care of your wife, you benefit from that. If you want to just look at it from a selfish perspective, it's best for you to take care of your wife first. That shouldn't be our primary motivation but it is an obvious, logical conclusion. Read next. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So people nourish and cherish their own bodies. The Lord nourishes and cherishes the church, and husbands ought to nourish and cherish their wives, nourish means to feed, to cause, to grow. Think about that. Are you helping your wife be a better person? Are you helping them grow? Are you healthy? Do they do better because they spend time with you? Do you provide for their physical needs? Do you provide for their emotional needs? Do you give them structure and support and love and understanding? Are you providing that greenhouse where it, it, it gives the optimum atmosphere for a plant to grow? It's the husband's job to make sure that he has the family structured and he behaves himself in such a way for his family to grow, particularly his wife. And if you're not careful, we all know how this goes. If you've been married very much time at all, when your marriage gets off kilter, you start hurting each other instead of helping each other. Right? And that ought not to be. And it's the husband's job to nourish his wife, to feed, to cause, to grow. And then the word cherish means to treat with tenderness and affection. Sir, do you treat your wife like a lady or do you treat her like one of the boys? If you treat her like one of the boys, don't be surprised when she acts like one. If you treat her like a prince, princess, a lady, 
don't be surprised if she starts act, acting like one. My wife was helping me counsel a couple years ago before she got sick, and boy, this lady was tough. I mean, she was tough. When you do marriage counseling, sometimes it's the husband's, mostly his fault. Sometimes it's mostly the wife's fault. Sometimes it's mostly both of them. <laughs> you know, it's, but this time it was like the, the lady was just rough. And I could tell she was hurt, and there was a lot of hurt and pain and suffering there. And I, I was talking to my wife, and I said, I said, boy, darling, I said, I just, this is a, a tough one. I said, she's, she's struggling. And she taught me something years ago. She said, it's mostly him. I said, I said, what do you mean? She said, it's mostly him. It's how he treats her. And I said, darling, I believe that if, if you were to be his wife, he would be just fine. And she said, no, you've got it the opposite. If I was his wife, I would be acting like her. And my mind was like, Well, you just got school. I did get school. A good, a good, a wise husband listens to his wife. I tell people in marriage counseling, if you're not listening to your wife, you're thinking with half your brain. You listen to each other. And she said, if I was his wife, he would ruin me because he doesn't treat a lady right. And he, Amen. she's defensive and hurt and doesn't know what to do. These are sometimes the very thing we have trouble with with our wives. It's actually because we're not giving them that safe environment to flourish I know the opposite happens sometimes too. Sometimes no matter how hard a husband tries, a a wife can get off kilter and just kind of go crazy. But for the most part, a lady will act as you treat her. Years ago, a lady was coming and she was kind of a farmer type and she worked hard and she did the work of a man. She'd had a hard life. But she heard me talking one day about how men should dress like men and women should dress like women and and, and be feminine and all these things. And so uh, she came in one Sunday morning wearing a dress. And I mean, it didn't fit at all. But she had done her hair and she had this beautiful dress on that she'd went, gone down to the, the uh, uh, Five and Dime store and, and bought. Uh, and and uh, it didn't fit quite right. And she didn't really know how to act in it. She walked in like a man. You know, she's shaking your hand like a man. She's talking like a man. She's sitting like a man. And... Uh, but we made, I said, wow, that is, you look beautiful. She's like, she's like I think so. And I, yes, you, you do. And I think she even shaved for the Sunday morning service. No, that's not true. And, uh, but she was, she was a rough lady. She went that afternoon, and she was moving a refrigerator by herself. This is the kind of lady she was. She got the refrigerator in the back of a moving truck by herself. She drove it to another place. She was unloading the refrigerator out of the back of the truck in her dress. And these men ran over and said, ma'am, ma'am, please don't do that. Let us help you. And she looks at him like, what? I said, ma'am, please. Please let us help you. You don't, you don't need to be doing that. We want to. And she told me with tears in her eyes that for the first time in a long time, she got treated like a lady. She walked in that night, and she walked a little bit more feminine. She talked a little bit more feminine, and she's like, this is fun. (laughs) Like, yeah, it can be. 
But see, we as men, we have to nourish to cause to feed to grow. We have to cherish to treat with tenderness and affection. We need to treat them like a princess and like a lady. Love is an action word. Ephesians 5.25, look at it. Husbands, love your wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you see the sacrifice here? So love is an action word. That means we, we love our wives unconditionally and sacrificially. I decided to love you. I'm never going to change my mind. I will always love you, and I will treat you with a cherish. I will cherish you, and I will sacrifice myself for you. I will go without. I will be uncomfortable. I will put you first. You ever see a couple, and they're like, no, you have what you want. 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 That doesn't get, you don't get to that place by someone saying, this is what I want. You get to that place by someone saying, what would you prefer, dear? No, what would you prefer, honey? Then it turns into, no, what, what would you prefer? You get that way by preferring the other. Husbands must love their wives unconditionally and sacrificially. Let me teach you men one of the great secrets. You've heard it here often, but it's one of the great secrets of marriage from a man's point of view. A wife receives love first in the form of security. And sometimes you think about that as security of finances, security of the home, and all those things are important, but the most important security that she has is that you still love her. That you still love her. When a, when a woman asks you, do you still love me? The wrong thing to do is go, of course I love you, why would you ask me that? That's the absolute wrong thing to do. When a wife says, do you still love me? She's just asking for you to say it one more time. Oh, of course I love you, honey. When she asks, do I look fat in this? <laughs> she doesn't want the truth. Right? You've got you to be smart about these things. Use some wisdom, right? How does this make me look? Wonderful. Yeah, you're not even looking at me. It's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. You look amazing. My, what, I, what I used to say is, I got this from an old guy. Uh, he'd say, if his wife said, how do I look in this? He'd say, I'm blinded by your beauty. And that was like his answer for everything. Lord, how do, I'm blinded by your beauty. Just, and that's a good, safe answer. But the ultimate form of a man loving his wife is in the form of sec- security of unconditional love. Love her openly. Tell everybody. Tell everybody you love her. Tell her publicly, tell her privately, tell your friends, tell, tell everybody. And boy, I wish one of the things I, I, I wish so much is that my wife was, was here in some ways so I could enjoy her, but also in other ways so that you could see just how much there is. She's such a wonderful example of all of these truths. And uh, boy, I, I tell my wife I love her. I'll tell you I love my wife the drop of the hat, and I'll drop the hat. I'll find reasons to tell her. I'll tell you in front of her. I'll tell her friends. I'll tell her family. I'll tell strangers, I love my wife. And what does that do? It gives her security. So I tell her openly. I tell her privately. And then you love her sacrificially. You don't always have to be first. You don't always have to watch what you want. You don't always have to go where you want to eat, where you want to eat. You give you sacrifice. If there's, you want to buy something and she wants to buy something, let her buy what she wants. 
Imagine that. My wife has to be careful because if she says I want something, if she even mentions that she might want something, I'll go out of my way to get it for her. And you say, well, well, why would you do that? Because I love her. And the opposite of that is she doesn't go around my back trying to buy things. She's very careful to tell me of her needs because she knows I will sacrifice to help her, to love her. Does that make sense to you? Husbands, love your wives unconditionally and sacrificially. This is the first fundamental of a healthy marriage. Ladies, number two, the wife must respect her husband publicly and privately. The wife must respect her husband publicly and privately. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. That's the commandment for the husband. Now the commandment for the wife. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now reverence is an old English word. What does it mean? Reverence means fear mingled with respect and esteem. Now it's not the type of fear like you're afraid he's going to hit you. You're afraid that he's going to hurt you. It's a type of fear that says, I'm afraid to disappoint you. Kind of like the same word of the fear of the Lord. I'm afraid to disappoint you. Reverence is respect. Ladies, let me teach you a, a statement that will save your marriage. A man would rather be respected than loved. And a man cannot feel loved unless he is first respected. It's easy for a woman to say, well, I love him. He's a jerk and I hate him and he can't work and he can't provide for us and he's this and he's that, but I love him. He would rather be respected. And just like a lady doesn't truly feel loved unless she doesn't feel loved unless she has the security that you provide for her emotionally. A man cannot feel loved until he first feels respected. And what happens is men and women love each other the wrong way. A man will respect his wife while mistreating her, and a woman will love her husband while disrespecting him, and they both feel unloved. The wife must respect her husband publicly and privately. God made man in his image. And we don't have time to get into Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I'll quote it to you. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God made a man to have dominion. The Bible's very clear that the husband should be the leader of the home. And if you have a problem with that, it's because you've got too much world in you. Or you don't know what that means. That doesn't mean the woman's a wallflower. It doesn't mean that the woman has no say. It doesn't mean that the, that the woman is any lower than him. It's just God made man to have the dominion. God made man to have the leadership. The word dominion means a kingdom. It means a a kingdom with authority to direct. God made men to be in charge of things. 
Now, the Bible's very clear that men and women are created with equal worth. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. They have equal worth. It's not, a, it's not an idea of men are worth more than women or women are worth more than men. It's they both have the equal worth in the eyes of God. But God has said there has to be some type of structure. There has to be some type of, of hierarchy. If you're watching a baseball game, everybody can't be the pitcher. Everybody can't be the catcher. If you're watching basketball, everybody can't be the point guard. If you're watching football, everybody can't be the quarterback. Everybody can't be the coach. There has to be some type of hierarchy. And God's plan is that it's God leading the man. The man leads the woman. The man and woman lead the children. That's God's plan. And by the way, it's worked good for a long time, and I'm happy to say it still works. Consider this important verse. (coughs) Genesis 3.16, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. That's part of the consequence of sin. You okay with that? Some of you are like, you can breathe now. <laughs> yeah, you can breathe. It's okay. I'm not talking about like ruler, like the man says, it's my way or the highway, or he rules with an iron fist. That's not the kind of biblical leadership, and I don't recommend that at all. As a matter of fact, we help women who are in those situations. We help their husbands learn how to lead properly. But there is no doubt about it. God said, I want the husband to lead. Now, my wife will tell you that's a good deal. And you say, what? My wife says, it's a wonderful thing not to be in charge. It takes a lot of pressure off when you don't have to figure everything out. You know why? Because ladies, for the most part, are not built to have the pressure of the world upon them. And you can see how for thousands of years saying these things, people would have said, well, of course, of course, of course. And nowadays I can read something out of the black and white of the scripture and some people are like, hmm, hmm. It's a problem. God placed the man as the head of the family. He leads and directs the family. But watch this, ladies. He is accountable to God. Watch this, men. Watch this. You are accountable to God. It's not about getting your way. It's not about uh, pressing your demands and being in control. You are accountable to God for the choices you make for your family, for your wife, for your children. You will stand before God someday and you will give an account. And in that day, it won't matter what you felt at the time. You will wish You had sought Him and led under His leadership. Amen? Amen. The wife is not a slave. She is the husband's better half. A wise husband will consult his wife and listen to her thoughts and feelings. Do you hear that, man? We have to be secure enough to consult our wives and listen to their thoughts and feelings. And when they're right, we need to admit they're right. 
and follow through. But watch this, ladies. This is the one thing we miss. Submission is the ultimate form of respect. A wife shows her respect through submission. Now, most people don't understand what submission is. I was doing marriage counseling years ago with a lady, and we were, she was pretty headstrong, and she wanted the husband to take lead as she kept beating him into submission. And uh, we were talking about this idea of biblical submission, and she looked at me, and with all sincerity, she said, I submit when I agree with him. And I kind of looked at her and said, say that again. She said, well, you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. <laughs> I think you said what you mean. Submission is not, I agree with you, so I'm going to follow through. Submission is, I'm not sure this is the best idea. I'm not sure, or maybe perhaps this isn't even the decision I would make. But I know ultimately, I'm accountable to God for following you. You're accountable to God for following Him. And I'm just going to turn that over to the Lord. Now, obviously, a couple caveats. This does not include physical abuse. Does not include unbiblical things. Had a guy one time say, if I told my wife to go be a prostitute, then in order to obey God, she ought to go be a prostitute. And I looked at him and said, you're nuts. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about unto the Lord. It, it puts the Lord in that whole thing about submission. I'm supposed to surrender as unto the Lord, or wives, I'm not a wife, wives are supposed to surrender as unto the Lord. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. See, this is what we also don't forget about submission. Uh, what we also don't remember. When I do marriage counseling, I often tell people, both of you are concerned about who I'm going to agree with. And the truth is, I'm not on either one of your sides. Ma'am, if you're closer to God... In what you say, then I'm going to agree with you by default because I agree with God. And sir, if you're closer to God, then it's going to look like I'm agreeing with you, but I'm agreeing with God. And the idea is whoever's closer to God wins. If my wife and I have a disagreement and she's closer to where God is than I am, then I am to submit to what she says ultimately because I'm ultimately surrendering to the Lord and vice versa. Let's read on. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Thank God for that. You don't have to listen to anybody else's husband. Amen? As unto the Lord. See the Lord invoked there? You're supposed to respect Him, submit unto Him as unto the Lord. Uh, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. We see it again. The God's the head of the husband, the husband's the head of the wife, the husband and wife are the head of the children. This is God's plan. Submission shows faith in God. Now watch this, ladies. Respect publicly. Talk about Him well with other people around. Find reasons to brag upon Him. And also talk to Him privately. The things you say privately. Uh, be careful not to disrespect him. You do that by building him up. Uh, boy, men, men like to be told they're handsome, even when they're not. They like to be told they've got muscles, even when they don't. Uh, they, they like to be told they have certain abilities, even when, when uh, they're not very good at stuff. <laughs> right? 
And then consideration. Place importance on his thoughts, his wishes, his opinions. Seek, seek his will. What do you think about this, honey? What do you think about that, honey? And then the husband should do the wise thing too. Just because you can make a decision doesn't mean you should. My wife and I have certain principles. I don't buy anything over a certain amount uh, without consulting my wife. That's something that I decided. We decided together. Uh, and, and I won't come home one day with a brand new Harley. Number one, because I'm broke. But number two, because I committed to talk to her about it first so I don't make a foolish decision like that. So we, we have to be wise with each other. But ladies, this idea of respect is so important. Here's, here's the truth. And here's the thought. If it's not against Scripture... And you make your case, and he decides something different. If it's not against Scripture, go with his way. You say, that's scary. can be. But watch this. As soon as your husband figures out that you're really going to submit to him, he gets a lot more careful with the decisions he makes. Because he doesn't want to run the family in the ground. He doesn't want to ruin the kids. He doesn't want to make a mistake. And the best case scenario is a husband seeking the will of God, a wife seeking the will of God as she follows her husband, and the children following all of this. Two people, two ways, one decision. Who gets to decide? God says the man has veto power. All right, number three, and finally, the children must be trained to obey immediately and respectfully. When's the last time you saw that? Now, we're not talking about two-year-olds. I had a, one of my mentors said, listen, when your wife's two, just maybe you shouldn't try to go out to eat. Or not when your wife's two. When you're, I didn't know my wife when she was two. When your children are two, maybe you shouldn't just, maybe you should just do date nights at home. Do date nights in the park. There are certain ages that are more difficult than others, But the truth is, the average parent today doesn't expect their children to obey. We expect dogs to obey. We expect horses to obey. But for some reason, we don't expect children to obey. And parents must have this idea that my children, you, sir, you, ma'am, will obey immediately and respectfully. We could look at the Jewish home. They were a place of peace and order. Why? Dad loved God and the family. Mom followed uh, and respected the dad. Children obeyed the parents without question. In Jewish culture, someone was considered a child until at age 12, they had their bar or bat mitzvah, and the mitzvah celebrated the commencement of adulthood up until that moment. Don't miss this. Up until 12, 12 years of age, Every child was expected to do one thing and learn one thing. And that was, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And children, let me tell you, you need to obey mom and dad. And you need to obey right away. And you need to obey happily and respectfully and immediately. And if it's not immediate, it's not obedience. If it's not respectfully, it's not obedience. And so how do we... How do we teach our children this? And the truth is, you get what you allow. Whatever you allow is what you're going to get. You don't get what you expect, you get what you inspect. And if you allow them to talk back, they're going to talk back more than you want. If you allow them to storm away, they're going to 
storm away and walk away more than you want. If you let them yell at you every once in a while, they're going to yell at you more than you want. They're always going to do more than you want them to do. But the idea is we're going to teach them with God's help to obey immediately and happily, respectfully. This takes time and effort. Let me help you parents. Do not yell at your children. Do not yell at your children. Yelling works well when they're young, but it doesn't work when they're teenagers. Don't yell at the children. Don't call them names and be rude and mean. What it takes is training, discipline, follow-through. Training, discipline, follow-through. Training, discipline, follow-through. When the kids are young, if you say, come here, sweetie, and she doesn't come, then you need to stop everything, take a moment and say, get, it, get their attention, look right in their eyes, and say, when mommy and daddy call, you come. Yes, yes, sir? Yes, sir. Now go stand over there, right where they were. Now come here. And they come over. Good job. Now go stand back over there. Now come over here. And they come over. Now go stand back over there. Now come over. And if at any time children should get disciplined for two reasons, they get disciplined for direct disobedience and a bad attitude. If at any time they directly disobey you, everything stops, discipline's administered, and we start over. If they do it with a bad attitude, discipline's administered, and we start over. If they're sitting down and they don't come, all right, go sit down, come. Go sit down, come. Go sit down, come. You say, what is that? It's called training. It's called follow-through. And so we must look for this idea of immediate respectful obedience, and we could preach a whole message on that. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen. Yea, and he shall give delight unto my soul. This is helpful to me as a parent. If my children are ever getting on my nerves, it's my fault. Not their fault. My fault. Because I've neglected to follow through. Training, instruction, follow through. And it's amazing. When the children are obedient, they're a wonderful, wonderful blessing to your life, aren't they? Here's the three. Think about it. Think about what you're going to do. Husbands, love your wives unconditionally and sacrificially. A wife, respect her husband publicly and privately. Children must be trained to obey immediately and respectfully. If you do those three things, your home becomes a castle and a little bit of heaven on earth. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But it's worth it. It's worth it. When you get older, it's not going to matter what your golf score was or what you build, or what your yard looked like. It's not going to matter what position you had at your job. When you get older, 
one of the only things that's going to matter is your investment in your family. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd help us. So desperately want our homes to be happy, peaceful, joyous. Marriages to be strong, loving. But Lord, we must follow these things.